Welcome to the third episode. <laughs> the third episode of Alaska's Political Pipeline. I am David Bernkoff. I am a sometimes political producer, all the time investigative producer, and I'm joined with my colleague, anchor, reporter, Rebecca Palsha. <laughs> How are you today? Good. How's it going? It's going well, and I'm going to tell our listeners of a major development. Uh-huh which is that we have upgraded our recording facilities. <laughs> you might not know this, but we were sharing a microphone, which made for some awkwardness and difficulty. But now we each have our own microphone, our own headset. And we're so fancy now. And the best thing that we have, someone <laughs> left us a bottle of spray microphone sanitizer. So we have sanitized our microphones. We now need to sanitize our conversation, I guess. Uh, but this is, we're now in the busy, busy, busy political season. Oh my gosh, yes. We had one debate, right? We had our you first debate. You were there? Yep, what I was, was there. that like? It was fun. It was, you know, um, it was our first governor's debate. And it was the first one I think Dunleavy has shown up for a handful of them. Out of a lot of debates. And so I was expecting them to go after him just because of that. It's like kind of their first opportunity to really be like, where have you been? Blah, blah, blah. And he had a line that I actually thought was pretty funny was, was uh, I've been working as governor <laughs> or something like that. You know, the tradition is when you think you're ahead in a political uh-huh. race, you avoid a lot of the debates. But I, I gather this is one that's hard to avoid because it's it's a big tradition. It's got a few media partners. We're a part of it. We're other part people. Of it, yeah. So it's it's a big one at the end. Oh yeah. And there are two more. What's coming up? We next? have two more. We have the U.S. House on the 26th of October and the U.S. Senate on the 27th. And uh, everybody's confirmed, and everybody should be good to go. And, and it's uh, we're going to be picking out questions starting today and tomorrow for that one. It's a democracy between public radio and public media and us. And you, your one of your jobs is to kind of mine social media for topics. How does that work? Yeah, so if, some of it is just you know there's the hashtags that you can cut, that you can follow to see what people are talking about, and then we do some questions where we go to the viewers and say you know what do you want to know. Um, so the the I got cut a little bit, not not offended, not offended at all <laughs> from the uh, my second question. Well, this is your chance to get that time <laughs> yeah. back. But our the question that we took off of Facebook for the governor candidates had to do with an issue that's happening in the Matsu about you have to use the restroom of the sex you were assigned at birth. And the person who wrote in said they wanted to know what the governor would do for inclusion for that community. And uh, Les Gare's big thing was I'd make sure people knew they, they were important. And uh, Charlie Pierce was the only one who, who said uh, – Boys should use the boys' bathroom, girls should use the girls' bathroom. But everyone kind of was like, you know, no discrimination. So the governor, did he take a firm stand no, on it? No, no, no. That issue clearly generated an incredible amount of, um, I don't know, outcry mm-hmm. in that neighborhood, in that school district. Mm-hmm. With, uh, a, with also, uh, you know, the GoFundMe to have a, a bathroom that's inclusive. It's... Not an issue that is unique to Alaska. It's Mm-mm. happening all over the country. In school districts where certain parents groups organize, and it's not even clear that it's organically parents groups. Some of there's been some reporting that it's uh, you know organizations 
that oppose transgender rights, and they go out and encourage in different districts what seem like organic mm-hmm. uh, protests. I have no idea about this one. I haven't covered that at all. But there were a lot of people who showed up at the last meeting I saw who were in favor of transgender rights or in favor of keeping bathrooms to who, however people identified. But the vote was pretty mm-hmm. clearly against that. And that's do you know if that's gone into effect yet? or I can't remember. I don't think it's gone into effect yet, but I'm not positive. I haven't been covering that story. But it is, you know, it's a first for us. And, and it's, it's funny, like the longer you are in this job, like you said, you see things less as organic and more of outside influences on a, especially for social issues. Um, it's There's no question these days. I don't think we're shedding complete light on a subject people don't know, but there are a lot of organizations that set up nationally often in Washington and they create a template Mm -hmm. for local people. So it's not that local people might not be interested in these issues, but there's a template set up for them that helps them raise money, teaches them how to get media attention, teaches them how to most effectively lobby their, um, elected officials, and then these issues become big really quickly with Mm -hmm. that help. That's the thing, is it doesn't take six months or a year to organize anymore. It can happen in a couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. And then you're at the next city council meeting or assembly meeting or school board meeting, and you're ready to go. So that's that's just something that we – it's hard to know when you're covering these things. It's really hard to get at where they started and – I don't know how important it is anyway, but people should know that there's a lot of that going on in, in the issue world these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to <laughs> the issues that came up in the debate. Were there other general topics that seemed to come up in social media that maybe um, they didn't, weren't asked that about? That weren't asked about. But, um, you know, the abortion questions were big and um, – I. Uh, the social media stuff I was following was had tagged that one, which I expected. You know, it's it's abortion. It's a hot button issue. Um, I would have liked to have gotten into some homeless questions because we had had those from viewers of is that an Anchorage problem for Anchorage to solve or is that a statewide problem for all of us to work on? Um, I thought that would be interesting to hear their thoughts on that. That's interesting. Yeah. From the tone of the questions, could you tell – whether the people asking about the homeless issue were asking because they think too much is being done or not enough being done, or was it just they don't understand how to fix the problem? I think it was like don't understand how to fix the problem because, you know, it's we've always had a homeless issue. I think it's more, more and more and more and more in your face with what seemed like fewer solutions at some points and just a lot of fighting. Um, and I think it's – unavoidable at this point, but it is the question of, is this Anchorage to deal with or is this everybody to deal with? We just, we had a piece last night, and I know people will listen to this over time, but you can find it certainly on the Alaska's news source website. It's a good story. About homeless demographics. And it's interesting to see, I think the most eye-opening thing for me and our reporter, Mike Mason, was that no matter how the different ways of counting homeless mm-hmm. but one thing that is not denied no matter how you count is the people we see on the streets whether it's 125 by one count or 500 by another count that's maybe only 10% of the people 
who are actually considered homeless at any given time because you have thousands of people in various stages of temporary shelters, couch surfing, able to afford an apartment for a week or two mm-hmm. until the money runs out for for them that month. It's it's a much bigger, deeper problem than even what you see on the streets. You know, I think it's actually pretty heartbreaking aspect of it that we almost never cover because we because is um because we're a visual media and television is um the amount of children impacted by homelessness is pretty staggering and heartbreaking and it is a huge barrier and problem for the Anchorage school district you know like I have two daughters one's in middle school and one is in elementary school and I remember the first time seeing the taxis drop off children for school because that's it's important for those populations to still continue to have consistency and to continue to go to your school. But where are you living now this week? And so, you know, within that budget is money for taxis to go to schools. And so that's that's in a huge population that is not visual and that you don't see, but is absolutely affecting this community. And as we continue to cover that story on the investigative side, we are talking to the Anchorage School District about showing exactly that. Mm-hmm. And, and that was new to me. I hadn't really thought about it. This idea of what happens to a family who they may not be literally homeless on the mm-hmm. street or in a car all the time, but they may be in a hotel on one side of town, then with a family member on another side of town, mm-hmm. then in a shelter. And you want the kids to keep going to the same school, same mm-hmm. class. Can you imagine the disruption in a disrupted life anyway. Mm-hmm. If you've got to change schools every two months. Yeah. It's, and I know the school district works on that pretty hard, but what a challenge. I remember the first time I was in, the when I first dropped my daughters off for school, seeing um, the bins at the front of the schools for, for extra food and food for the weekends, you know, that's when you're like, wow, <laughs> you know. So, all right, just to recap, we've got the Senate and congressional debates mm-hmm. next week. Next week. And we will regather after all the debates are done. <laughs> um, the Senate one, I think my sense of where we are in that race is that is re- the most important one because that race might be the closest. Uh, although I have seen lately, just in the last couple of days, I've noticed that on the congressional side, Nick Begish is running TV and radio ads. Oh, I hadn't seen those. Um, they've gone up. I heard one this morning coming in, and they're pretty hard-hitting against Mary Peltola, uh-huh. um, you know, t- trying to tie her to the president and super liberal ideas. <laughs> um, but so somewhere he uh, gathered enough money to go – go uh, on radio and, and TV. I don't think he's ever going to have enough money to compete one-to-one with the incredible amount of advertising that the now congresswoman has. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of ads you hear and see for, for her. It's funny because, you know, I, I run a lot and listen to Pandora, and I have not heard an ad for Baggage or Palin. It's all Peltola. Well... Clearly, winning gets you more money. There's no question. People like to back a winner. So let's move on to a discussion of another electoral issue, which is this kind of unique and important vote coming up on the Constitutional 
convention. Mm -hmm. What is the history of, I don't expect you to go through the whole history, but <laughs> I've never voted on a constitutional convention before. We've done it before. We, we put it, I think, is every 10 years, we put it before the voters. And usually uh, the last time I saw it come up, it went down pretty easily. And I think it's kind of seems like a non-starter. And this year definitely is interesting. We're, again, working on a couple of stories on it. So we've been talking to a lot of folks. And there is a sense that something is different this mm -hmm. time around, that it's closer, that it could really uh, be passed. And one of the things that we hear, and I'm sure you hear this too, is that nobody knows what it would mean exactly if it passes. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was one of the most interesting things is I I was watching a debate between um, John Coghill and Bob – is it Bob? Bird. Bird, thank you. And they're both conservative, both anti-abortion, and had different reasons of saying why you should or should not have a constitutional convention because and, – and Coghill's take was you don't know what would happen. You don't know, like, how the state would – you know, outside money would influence this or you don't know which way the voters would decide on an issue. That There would just seem to be, like – in his opinion, it seemed like too many unknowns to do this. They don't even have a guaranteed system – for how you would run a constitutional convention. Mm -hmm. There's no set rule as to who would be the representatives. You'd have to have elections for people to be in the constitutional convention, but you don't know how they would divide up the state. Uh, you don't know how much time would pass. There's mm -hmm. Some people are saying the whole process, given that if you say yes, then you have to have elections for members of the convention, then they have to meet, then they have to propose things, then voters have to vote on it again. <laughs> it could be years and years before you even know what the end result is, and everything is up in the air. Mm -hmm. Every single issue in the Constitution currently could be changed. Not that it would be, but it could right. be. So. That's why it's traditionally not gotten much traction, but it's a different environment now. People mm -hmm. kind of want to shake it up and take their chances maybe. Yeah. In the questions I heard for the debate, it was interesting. Um, it was lots of people mad at the judiciary and a lot of people like blaming the legislature. And then Coghill came out in defense of the legislature and was like, this is not them. You know, this is different issues. And it just – it's a fascinating look at our state, and um, I've started seeing more of the no signs popping up around town. I haven't seen the yes signs, but it was – it is just it's extremely interesting. Well, that could be a function of money yeah. also because the no people have raised a couple of million dollars, a lot of it from out-of-state groups, a lot of it from in-state groups, but definitely a couple of million roughly. And the yes voters – excuse me, the yes organizations – have raised almost no money. They, mm -hmm. Their last disclosure, they were around $20,000. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to be able to print up too many signs. Yeah. And they certainly can't go on television with ads, which, again, you see ads all the time for, you know, don't have a constitutional convention, vote no. So there's a, lot, a huge money difference. But, again, this year with people being a little grumpier and a little <laughs> angrier at government and... The idea of, quote-unquote, trusting the people to rewrite the Constitution has seems to have more traction. We won't know till 
I don't even know if we'll know election night, but we'll certainly have a good yeah. a good idea. Is it really close or is it another blowout? Uh, but the money is definitely on the no side. But this gets me to something that is not quite Alaska politics, although I'm sure Alaskans have strong feelings about it. And I, we want to throw this open to our audience to to respond to. But there was a poll that came out quite recently. Uh, it was a Siena poll, not CNN. Siena is a university for the New York Times. And it asked a lot of questions about democracy and people are really grumpy and they don't have a lot of faith in our government and our country. But then it asked, who do you blame for the mess we're in? And at the very, very top of the list, I'm going to read these numbers. The very top of the list, most at blame, was what the New York Times called mainstream media. Now, everyone gets to define <laughs> mainstream media in their own way, and they do. Are we mainstream media? Is CNN mainstream media? Is Fox News mainstream media? Is Newsmax? You make your own definition. But within that sort of broad question, 59% of the American people think that the media is a significant major part of why democracy is in trouble. 25% more think it is a minor part of it, but a part. And only 15% think that the news media doesn't have any blame for our current state of troubled democracy. And when you break it down for Trump voters, 87% of Trump voters think that the media is a major part of destroying our democracy. So how does that make you feel as a member of the media? <laughs> Gosh, you know, that's such a difficult one because I think if we had a world without journalists, that's a scary world. You know, there would be malfeasance all over the place and corruption and backdoor deals. And I just think it is a public service that is vital to democracy. And and I can at times feel the tenor having changed from beginning of my career when I was 22 and now I'm 23. <laughs> I'm 28, so uh -huh. I'm a little older than you. <laughs> but over this time, you can feel a change. And it's disappointing because – um, at least I speak for myself when I say I go into everything. Um, I don't believe there are two sides to everything. I think every the whole world is gray. I think there are multiple, multiple sides of every single thing. And I know my biases and I really try to check them. And I, you know, none, none of my work is lives on its own without multiple people seeing it and reading it and reviewing it and approving it. And I just think it's incredibly important. And it's so it's disappointing to hear that people would think that, someone would go into this position and it not be for the betterment of the world. I totally agree with everything you say. I have had these conversations with people who are angry about the media. And I understand there's a lot of things that media has done in terms of its own lack of transparency that have made this situation worse. I wish, so there are times when I wish you could put a camera just in mm -hmm. the middle of a newsroom and run it 24 hours a day and let people in on the conversations that I hear. This didn't involve me, but I heard one of the people on our desk in the middle of a busy day spending 15 minutes on the phone talking with someone about their problem and listening and, and uh, 
sort of recommending next steps for this person. And finally, I heard this individual say, I just, I'm sorry, I have to get back to work. And it was clear that the person on the other end was not happy with what they had heard. But there was a long conversation mm-hmm. and they were, they were heard. It's just, you don't always get what you want. Mm-hmm. None of us do. Um, but we do care about doing things the right way. It doesn't mean we always do them the right way, but I don't. I feel like people, people who don't like the media, will listen to me saying this, and they'll go, "Yeah, right." I don't know what we can do about it. Yeah. And, but that leads to we would like your feedback on this. Uh, we sincerely would. What you think would help, if anything, increase trust in our job, particularly because we do control our own jobs a lot. We can't affect what NBC News does in Washington that much, but yeah, we can we have... certainly affect what we do. And Absolutely. we would like to hear what you think it is we're not doing right and what it is you think we're doing right that we ought to do more of. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear those answers. Yeah, so where I should give them an email or something. Or they could... <laughs> <laughs> I can send it to our investigative email. Yeah, you can send it to twoinvestigates at ktuu.com or you can... Um, you can certainly find both of us on Twitter and send us messages that way um, because we, we are curious about it and we'd like to do things that make the audience trust us more. Because mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's where you can actually get your best stories to is talking to people. And I think sometimes people uh, will call the newsroom and not expect to get one of us. But I'm like, my f- cell phone number is on everything. <laughs> I'm on Twitter all the time. Like, I am accessible. You know. Yeah, I know my, the reporter I work with most of the time, Mike Mason, told somebody yesterday, handed him a business card, and he said, and that's my personal cell phone on mm-hmm. there. And I don't know that they believed him when he said it, but it really <laughs> is. And, and we, do, we do answer. We can't promise that we will do every story that's suggested or that we will have an answer that will satisfy you. But we do listen and we do – I think to the point of today's podcast, we do care about what people think of how we do our job and how we can do a better job. Absolutely. So with that said, (laughs) we've pretty much covered a wide gamut of politics and journalism today. And so we'll wrap up episode three of Alaska's Political Pipeline. And coming up the next episode, we will go over the debates next week and we'll be setting up for the election, which is, oh my gosh, it's almost here. So close. I know people are happy with that <laughs> at certain level, but um, you know it's been a, it's certainly an interesting year up here. Absolutely. All right, thanks for listening, and please do let us know what you think. <laughs>